Here at Akron Alliance Fellowship, we gather to worship God. We learn his word and incorporate it into our lives. We portray the character of Christ as a servant. We influence others by showing his love and compassion. We pray for each other and our community. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message uh, is kind of born out of some recent activity. Some of you who were with me in uh, Sunday school this morning heard some of that, and hopefully my voice will hold up enough to be able to communicate it with you, but I wanted to make sure that um, you were able to hear me at the very least. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the presence of the Spirit to impart wisdom and knowledge, and it's not the words that I use, but rather your words that are being spoken. And we give you praise and thanks for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just wait until your father gets home. Yeah, you've heard those words before. At that moment, when you heard those dreaded words from your mother, a sense of dread and doom was cast over you. You knew that the inevitable would happen once your dad would hear the story about your latest transgression, whatever it is. When he gets home, your fate would be in his hands. Amen. Until that time, all you wanted to do is hide somewhere. Amen? Some of y'all act like none of this ever happened to you before. This has happened to every one of you in this room. For those of you who remember the movie A Christmas Story, Ralphie was hiding under the kitchen sink because he was afraid of what his dad would do to him because he got in a fight with somebody. I thought personally of uh, when something was about to happen to me about hiding in a closet or under my bed a few times. You know, maybe the amount of time it would take for, you know, everything to take place would, you know, be so long that everybody would forget about it. Or, as I found out later, maybe not. They didn't forget. They remembered. I had to deal with the issue. As a parent, when my children looked at me as I was reprimanding them with my words and my very serious tone and facial expression, I could see the looks on their faces. And it was that look where it was like something like that, where they were looking and they were very unhappy because they saw that the happy dad now was the unhappy father. Their eyes were riveted to me as they listened and they were waiting for it to be all over and done with. They were enduring what I'm going to affectionately call and refer to as the talk. The talk. Now, a sidebar real quick. A lot of people have given the talk a phrase that has to do with the birds and the bees and stuff like that. Well, that's not what we're talking about today. We're going to use it in a different way 
in a much more important way. Not that talking about the birds and the bees isn't important, but I'm just giving you context so you'll know what we're talking about here. Now, there are different names for when the father is talking to the child. We'll call it the talk today. But the most effective talks are those that get the point across without the need for any other punitive action. I mean, no one wants to be spanked, amen? No one wants to be reprimanded. The talk should be sufficient to get your point across. If they're done correctly, the offense that is being addressed will never come up again. If it does come up again after you've had a talk, all bets are off, everybody. And you've asked for it. When considering the impact of the talk, the words spoken in this communication, and usually it's a pretty much a one-sided conversation, because if you ever start talking back in the middle of a talk, something might happen to you. And it may not be a very good thing. But when we're looking at the impact of the talk, we're going to have different elements of the talk. If you'd like to write these down, you're welcome to, because we'll refer back to these later on in the message. I'm going to give you five different elements that make up a talk. And you'll see where I'm going with this. Amen? The first thing, the first element of a talk is a subject. There has to be a subject referring to what the talk is about. In other words, if you're going to be disciplined about something, you need to know about what you're being disciplined over. Amen? So there's a subject. Next, there's a statement of fact or facts. So we have a subject and now a statement of fact or facts. The third point is a declaration where you're making a statement based upon now those facts. A summary and a conclusion, which are both together. And finally, a clarification. The clarification as in, do you understand what you've just been told? So you have those five different elements of a talk. A subject, a statement of facts, a declaration, a summary and conclusion, and finally a clarification. Do you understand what you've been told? All of us have been impacted in some way, shape, or form, by the talk. Consider that it is not always communicated in a way that is interpreted as a negative thing or in such a way where you're being corrected. There's all kinds of good talks that have nothing to do with being reprimanded. Amen? Well, don't be so enthusiastic. Amen? I'm just checking to see if everybody's with me. And today, the way things have been going, that may happen a lot. Amen. However, it should be noted that the gospel of Jesus Christ is indeed a message of love and peace that can be received either very positively or very negatively. Amen? The gospel of Jesus Christ, if it's incorporated into this talk, can be received either very positively or very negatively. Why is that? 
It's interesting that a message that conveys hope and nothing but hope can be seen as either a hopeful message or, as we discussed earlier, a message of dread. In other words, well, we'll look at that a little bit further. When the mailman delivers a tax refund check to you, you see that mailman as the greatest person alive at that very moment. Amen? Come on, y'all. It's a tax refund check. That's better now. Come on. You know, when you're getting money back from the government, you get excited. He is the most important person alive at that moment. After you. (laughs) When he delivers... Bills to you, he's not so important then. When he is delivering a tax bill to you, now he becomes an agent of Satan. Now that was funny, y'all. Come on. (laughs) Because who wants to get a tax bill? Some of you act like you just got a tax bill. An important thing to keep in mind here is that it's not so much an issue as to how one responds to the gospel message. It is simply important for you, the messenger, because that's what we are, we're messengers, to deliver the message. You are not always going to get a favorable response when you deliver the message. Just like the mailman. He delivers good mail. He delivers junk mail. You may not take it very well, but he still delivers it. Same way when you're delivering the talk in the form of the gospel message. All you need to do is deliver the message. Most of you are aware of the Great Commission verses in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. But I want to share with you how Jesus himself had the talk with his disciples after he rose from the dead. Because of their fear and unbelief that he indeed had returned. It's a very interesting passage. Note that at the same time he told his disciples to go and declare the truth to all the people. Turn over to Mark, turn to Mark chapter 16. And we're going to look at verses 9 through 20. I'm going to ask you to follow along as I read those verses. There's a fair number of verses there. Um, I'll be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, but feel free to follow along. But I want you to see the different... Now, Mark, when Mark writes, he writes it almost as a historical document. And he's giving you an account as to what's happening as far as the events. And he does it very quickly. It's like a summary of what's going on. So when you read it in that, with that understanding, it helps you a little bit more to see what's happening. So let's start with verse number nine. Early on the first day of the week after he had risen, he being Jesus, he fir- appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping. Verse 11. Yet, When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. Now, they being those disciples. 
Verse 12. Then after this, he appeared in a different form to two of them, walking on their way into the country. And they went and reported it to the rest, who did not believe them either. So that's another instance. Verse 14. Later, he, Jesus himself, appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. Now look at this. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had been resurrected. He rebuked them. He's giving them the talk. Now, why is this important? These people had spent about two years with Jesus Christ, learning about him, knowing about him, knowing his tendencies, knowing his habits, knowing all the things that have occurred and witnessed everything that took place. So they, of all people, should have known when he said he was going to return, that he would return. And they would not doubt or be in unbelief. So he rebuked them for that. But he didn't dwell on that. Go to verse 15. Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. There's the Great Commission. So you go from one verse where they're being rebuked for their unbelief to the next verse that says, Go and preach the gospel. Verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now look at verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In, who believe. in my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new languages, they will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will never harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. Now look at verse 19. Then after speaking to them, the Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. We're moving very quickly here. Verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word by the accompanying signs. And the very things he said he would do. He did it. And it's very important for us to see that we are going to have times where we doubt and we don't have faith and we need to see Jesus working to bolster us up. So, yeah, we might be rebuked for our unbelief and our faith, but that rebuke should challenge you to now see Jesus Christ for who he is and how he will back up every single promise he makes. Without failure. When you give someone the talk, there must be substance within the message. Amen? You can talk about a lot of stuff. I remember an old Dr. Seuss record, the sleep book, where there's somebody who's basically talking in their sleep. And they talk about laws, 
talk about gauze, talk about paws, talk about Santa Claus. Just talk about stuff. There's no real substance to it. But it's good exercise because it's fine for the jaws. Amen. I thought some of you would pick up on the rhyme. It's Dr. Seuss. But when you talk, there should be substance in the message. There must be evidence that the words within the message have a meaning and a purpose to promote the greatest opportunity for understanding. Amen? That's only logical. If people can't understand what you're saying, then how are you delivering any kind of a talk? There needs to be clarity. Jesus gave his disciples the talk and they listened. But even in their listening to his words, there had to be evidence to support Jesus' words. There had to be evidence. Without evidence, the words lose all meaning and purpose. In other words, what would happen if the disciples went out and did all those things that they did they were obedient to Jesus and didn't see any of those signs. What would happen to Jesus' words? They would lose all meaning and purpose. Jesus backs up what he says. You remember that. He backed up each and every one of his words with evidential proof in the results of their obedience to his command. His words, as a result, became even more powerful and meaningful to them as they proclaimed the gospel. All right, so with this in mind, we need to remember that this is how we should also preach the gospel, promote the gospel to other people. Because we know that Jesus keeps his promises. He's not going to make sure that your words are left hanging out there. He was going to deliver with his promises. When are you going to be delivering the talk to other people? Maybe it will happen sometime later today. Amen? You sure? It can happen later today. Maybe, perhaps it will happen even tomorrow. It's almost certainly going to happen sometime in the near future. Amen? So now you know you've got something before you that's going to happen at some time today, tomorrow, or in the future. And why do I say that? What does Matthew 28, 19 and 20 say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what he wants you to do. So it's going to happen. You're going to have to do it. So if you know this, are you prepared to give someone the talk when the time comes? Are you prepared to give someone this talk when the moment comes? You need to be ready. If you're not ready now, you need to get ready. Amen? And get ready ASAP. This is nothing to mess around with. 
On a personal note, one of the things that Lynn and I wrestle with is the salvation of her parents. Unfortunately, both of my parents know the Lord, but her parents have been indifferent about the gospel. And so as a matter of prayer, we're praying for that future moment when we have that talk. And if you've got relatives in this situation, this should hit home with you. This should be an A1 priority of prayer and meditation and the Spirit working. Because it's ultimately the Spirit who gives guidance on when the proper time it is to have that talk. But you still need to be ready. Amen? So assuming you're not ready, or at least not completely comfortable with this prospect, and you don't have to be comfortable with it. Everything is not about being comfortable. You should be comfortable in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's something you need to be developing every day. But now this is an extension of you. You're expressing your faith to another person. And you're sharing with another person. You don't have to be comfortable with it. But we'll talk about that. Let's take some steps to get you to a place where you'll feel better about where you are. First, keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is your guide in all discussions, like we just said. The Holy Spirit is the one who's helping you to discuss the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're less likely to trip over tongue-tied words if you allow the Spirit to guide you. Amen? Turn to John 16. We'll take a look at a verse real quick. John 16, 13. It's so important for us to see the role of the Holy Spirit. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have power beyond what you can really grasp or understand. The Spirit is working within you. You have that power. But you've got to realize you've got that power and use it. I'm going to read from the uh, English Standard Version, John 16, 13. It says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will what? Guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now that's giving you insight into how the Spirit can give you information from a divine perspective rather than your own perspective. That's where it starts. Now flip over to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 12 in Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, 12. The Holman Christian Standard Bible verse I'm reading says in Luke 12, 12, For the Holy Spirit will what? Teach you at that very hour what must be said. Now in the context of this verse, it actually talks about the potential for persecution. And yet, the Spirit's going to give you the words to say, you don't need to worry about anything. 
Well, he does the same thing in this context. When it's time for you to have the talk, you will be talking. Because the Spirit will give you the words to say. Amen? It's important for you to see that. You don't need to overthink it. When you start overthinking it, you start saying stuff that you don't need to say. You do stuff you don't need to do. Don't overthink it. Let the Spirit work through you. Next, you're going to need to read and study and pray over God's Word in order to grow in your knowledge about Him. I'm going to sound like a broken record because I'm going to keep saying that until I don't speak anymore. Read, study, and pray so that you can learn more about how God is dealing with you, your relationship with him. The more you learn about him, the more confident you will be in your message to other people about him. That's a fact. I wouldn't expect a new believer to have that confidence. The new believer... All they know is Jesus Christ died for me. But they still have to learn the details surrounding that and what all is involved in that process. The more you're reading and studying and learning about Jesus Christ, you will become more confident in the words you can use so the Spirit can use you effectively. But just like anything else, you have to build up your biblical vocabulary. Do you get that? Your biblical vocabulary. You do not have to be the most articulate person in the world. I did, I did something the other day. I did it yesterday. And I was not thinking. But, you know, when you go to McDonald's and you order, we ordered a folded egg and a sausage patty. So normally you need to have a knife and a fork. Okay. So I'm pulling up to the window, and, and my wife always checks to make sure we have everything. We didn't have the knife and the fork in the bag. I yell in the window. I talk to the guy. I say, excuse me, can you bring me more cutlery? Cutlery? First of all, I don't even know where that came from. It was the first thing that came to mind. I didn't say knife and fork. I said cutlery. The guy said, huh? Now, cutlery is not wrong, it's correct, but i got to remember where I am sometimes. Amen? It's like, doy. And, you know, I felt bad because I'm like, you know, that was the first thing that came to mind. Because when I think of a knife and fork together in a plastic pack, I thought cutlery. Well, in another bizarre way, we still have to re- increase our biblical Knowledge, our biblical vocabulary. But don't ever go up to a McDonald's window and say cutlery. Because they'll look at you like you're insane. Amen. I knew I was going to use that in a sermon, but I wasn't sure how, but it came to mind. You need to read and study more to become more confident in your message. To be able to speak. Please turn to Psalm chapter 1. 
Psalm chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 2. Now, not to pick on you, but this is really how we as believers in Jesus Christ should have our focus and should behave when it comes to how much we love to read and study God's word. Verse 2 kind of puts it right there before us and hopefully will challenge us to get to this place because not everybody is at this place. Amen? Verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now that pretty much means you're thinking about God's word all day long. And it's not a chore to do so. None of this is done as a chore. This is not like when your parents spoke to you about doing your chores, like washing the dishes or mopping the floor. Because, you know, it's very seldom that we would get up and say, okay, it's my turn to take out the trash. It's my turn to mop the floor. No one was thrilled about doing chores that I know of, including me. But reading the Bible should never, ever be a chore. Amen? Oh, come on, guys. Amen? Amen. I mean, really? Shouldn't be a chore. If it's a chore, you need to go back to square one to find out why it's a chore. And why it should be a delight. So that means you need to start all over again with your whole approach to who Jesus Christ is in your life. Because something's not right. Shouldn't be a chore. We also need to know where scripture comes from. Go to 2 Timothy 3. Many of you know this for these verses. Verses 16 and 17. You're going to be challenged every now and then from people to say, well, what this Bible thing, this Bible thing, it's just a bunch of dudes who lived a long time ago who wrote and they just put a bunch of stuff on paper and they're passing this on. Are we supposed to believe all this stuff? Amen. Yes, I hear a child say yes. But that's a matter of faith. Just so you know. Remember, some people are going to hear the gospel message and say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hip to that. That sounds really cool. And other folks will say, this is a bunch of rubbish. But that's their choice. Scripture comes from one place. Verse 16 in 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for what? Teaching, for rebuking, For correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's why reading should not be a chore to you. You are learning something. You are growing in your faith. There's a purpose for it. It's not to waste your time. 
Which goes back to, again, if you've got an attitude problem about spending time before the Lord, you need to go back to square one. You can't talk to anybody about the Lord. If you've got an attitude problem, because that's what this is. And what you'll find is that if you have an attitude problem, it's because you're trusting yourself rather than Jesus Christ. Just to be clear, it's all about you and not about Christ. Because that's where those types of thoughts come from. If it's all about you, ain't nothing I'm saying that's important right now. I can't wait to get out of here. I mean, the Browns game is coming on at 1 o'clock. Don't mess with my time. Because that's what it's about. You don't want to hear this mess. To you, it's not. It's mess to you. I'm just doing my time. I'm going to church because mommy told me to come. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Let's get this thing moving. It's not about Jesus Christ. It's about you. And what you hold is most important in your life. Know that these are the types of individuals you'll be talking to when you have the talk. That's what you're going to run into. When you have that talk, you're going to have folks that are all about themselves. And what God has been doing, I don't know if you've been paying attention to this or not, but God gives everyone the opportunity to make a decision for Jesus Christ. It's a choice of the individual to say yes or I'll do that later. I'm busy. I'll do that later. I want to have fun right now. I'll do that later. I'll get back to that. How many times will you hear the gospel message before you say, I got it. You see what I'm saying? That's why when the Spirit says to give the talk, give the talk. You don't worry about the response. Turn to John fifteen seven. Part of our reading and studying over God's word will help us personally in our faith as well, too. In John fifteen seven, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. In other words, God's word is abiding in you. You are internalizing God's word and living God's word in everything you do, everything you say, everywhere you go, you are projecting the light of Christ everywhere you go. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Amen. That's big time. That's big time. If you're abiding in God's word, he is going to do whatever he can to make you shine before other people. Do you understand that? Look, you've met all of the obligations. You're being obedient to his word. 
You're listening to what he has to say to you. You are abiding in his word. You are trusting in his word. You are living his word. He is not going to make you look bad. He's going to make you look good. And when you ask for anything, he knows that if you're abiding in his word, you're going to ask according to his will and purpose. This is not where you go off the reservation and say, I need a new Mercedes. Well, that may not be his will for you to have a new Mercedes. Your request should be more like, Lord, I need a dependable car to get around in. You follow what I'm saying? She said the little thing there about how yourself gets in the middle of it and muddies things up. But if you're really abiding in his word, that stuff about transportation is secondary. If he gives you a car that can get you to work, amen. That's it. Really? That's it. Finally, and most importantly, be consistent in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. Show yourself as a true follower of Christ. Now, if you're doing the things we just talked about in John 15, 7, you're already there. Show yourself to be a witness in Christ. When you walk into a room, people should be able to say, that's a believer, when they see you. Amen? That's a believer. You can make that much of a difference. I don't know what the Spirit does. I don't know how he does it. But if you are living a consistent life for Christ, everyone who sees you will say, that person is different. That person is different. There's something about that person that's different. I'll drop names. There's something about that faith. Smith, when she walks in a room, she's different. Praise the Lord. There's something about that Roscoe when he walks into a room. He looks a little shady, but hey, he's a believer. Amen. But people should see that in you when you walk into a room or when you spend time with them. Walking into a room is a bit of an exaggeration. But there should be a difference in your mannerisms, in your behavior. How can you have a talk with someone if people don't see that characteristic in you? I mean, if you, look, if you hang out at 79th and Wade Park in Cleveland over by the strip club all the time, people ain't going to come up to you and ask you about that talk. Amen? Okay. It's all about where you hang out, what you do, how you carry yourself. Those things are very important. You've got to have a consistent lifestyle. You can't live a double life. You can't live a secret life. Because what's happening with that is that you are not really following Christ the way you should be. You're not really understanding 
the power of the relationship you have with him because you're trusting in your flesh. You have to be consistent. Your communication will be believable as you show the evidence of a Christ-like existence. And I mean all day long. Go to Isaiah 40, 31. Now, we're going to look at some verses here. I want you to see that part of what we do as believers means we have to endure and put up with a lot of junk. Amen? Oh, we do. We have to put up with a lot of junk. There's stuff that happens to us all the time. We don't ask for it, but we get it anyway. We've got to put up with stuff. Some of it is persecution. Some of it is just living in Satan's domain. We have to put up with it. But the neat thing that God does for us is that he elevates us even at our weakest moments to show ourselves to be truly touched by God in all different aspects of our life. Even in our weakest moments. Look at Isaiah 40, 31. Here's an example of that. You, you may not look at it this way, but there are going to be moments where we have our strength be very low. Weakness. We're beaten down. There's so much going on, we can't process anything anymore. But we still got to live our lives. But when people see us, even in the midst of this weakness, look at this verse. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. And look at the second part of this verse. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When you don't think you have one ounce of energy left, God gives it to you and shows it to everybody who's looking at you. And you are making a testimony in the midst of your struggles that God is blessing you in the midst of your pain and difficulty. And in a world of pain and in a world of strife, a world of difficulty, people are looking for that lighthouse, that beacon. Where can I go for shelter? Where can I go for safety? Where can I get out of this patch of rough waters? Hopefully, they see you as that person. Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. A very important word for everyone to make sure they understand is the word peace. Peace means different things to different people, but for the most part, peace means a time of rest, a time of quietness, a time of reflection. In the midst of turmoil, how valuable is that? Peace. Everyone here knows what I'm talking about. How valuable is peace? Now, we know that we rely upon Jesus Christ for this peace, too. It says in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives you that peace because he gives you the confidence to know that he is with you and he gives you that peace. He freely gives you peace. Anytime you need that peace, he gives it to you. He doesn't hold it back. You have it in that relationship with him. Now tie it into a life of turmoil that you're living. And yet you're living through that turmoil because you're living in a state of peace. Other people will see this peace in your life too. Turn to Proverbs 22.4. We'll look at one more verse. Never underestimate, well, first of all, I was going to say never underestimate what people see in peace, that peace in your life. But always remember something, everybody. Once you declare yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ, folks are looking at you. Do I need to repeat that? No. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen soon. They just said, just shut up. Don't say anything else. Folks are looking at you. When you declare yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, people are looking at you. And sometimes people are looking at you to see if you're going to mess up. And you know what? We do mess up. So, okay, we'll deal with that. We mess up. But that's why we have repentance. That's why we have forgiveness in our lives. That's why Christ loves us. He loves us for who we are. But we need to have the mindset and the heart to say, okay, let's get this right. And let's show everybody what's right. Because we're not supposed to be perfect. You're still supposed to be a real person. That will matter. The result in verse uh, 22, verse 4 of Proverbs 22, the result of humility is fear of the Lord. Along with wealth, honor, and life. People should see a life of humility in your consistent behavior. Humbling yourself before the Lord. Humbling yourself even in the midst and circumstances of what's going on. If you make a mistake, say you're sorry. Apologize. Humble yourself. You ain't so big and bad that you can't apologize to somebody. Apologize sometimes when they don't deserve an apology. You're the bigger person. You don't get in a fight with somebody. You don't let somebody bring you down. Humble yourself. God cannot work through you if you are not humble. Amen? If you humble yourself, he's going to honor you. That's what you get from this verse. He's going to honor your humility, your ability to listen to him, work through him. He will work through you. He will honor you if you honor him. You humble yourself. Okay, so again, here's how you prepare to deliver that talk when the time comes. Read and study God's word. 
to obtain greater knowledge and understanding about your relationship with him. Secondly, live with consistency as a believer to show yourself as a credible witness for Christ. And finally, allow the spirit to speak freely through you at all times. That's what you have to do. This is how you will be ready when the spirit prompts you to present the gospel message to a person. And it's going to happen. It may happen later today. It may happen tomorrow. It may happen later this week. But it's going to happen. Be ready. When he prompts you, keep in mind that in your testimony, it is God who prompts a person to make a decision for Jesus Christ. You are merely delivering the words. It may be accepted. It may be rejected. But all that God asks from each of us is his obedience in proclaiming the message. Now let's go back. The things I had you write down earlier about the elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which of course is not any talk, but is the talk. The subject, salvation and Jesus Christ. That's the subject. You're talking about salvation and Jesus Christ. The statement of facts. You can literally take Romans Road down the statement of facts. Anybody know where Romans Road is? Starts with Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Those are things that you're going to be communicating. Romans 3.25. Jesus Christ died on the cross as a sacrifice for all of mankind. That's not the actual verse, but that summarizes what it says. And you got Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23. Second section of it. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then finally, when you get right down to it, you just tell the person what Romans 10, 9 says. Romans 10, 9 and then Romans 10, 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. And then you say, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice that he doesn't have any conditions in this statement of facts. It just says, call on his name and you'll be saved. We make too much out of it sometimes. We overthink it. Don't overthink it. The declaration. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Everyone knows that from what John 14, 6 says. Forgiveness in Christ begins with repentance or turning away of your sin. In order for there to be salvation, there must be repentance. There must be repentance. That's Mark 1.15. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So the summary and conclusion 
in this talk is that you can have eternal life by believing in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the summary. And then the, de- the clarification, do you know what all of this means for you when you're talking to someone? Ask the question, do you know what this means? Do you understand what's being said? Do you know now what to do with this good news? Because it's good news. Are you ready to pray with me? Ask the question. Are you ready to pray with me? They'll say yes. Or they'll say no. That's the talk. That's the summary of the talk. It may not take five minutes. It may take 15 minutes. It may take opening a Bible, which you should have handy, and showing some of these verses to people. But all of us are going to have to now get in the mindset that if we're truly living the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to be ready to give that talk at any given moment. I don't want to have to give that talk on someone's deathbed. You get my meaning? You really don't want to do that? If that's all that you have, that's all that you have. But ultimately, we need to be sensitive to the Spirit at all times. God wants to use us in amazing ways. If we humble ourselves and stop and think long enough about how He wants to use us, you'll see it. You'll see it. You'll be ready to give that talk. You'll be prepared for it. Take them down Romans Road. But you can be ready. But you need to be ready right away. Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you for how you have given us the ability to be obedient to your word by making your gospel message as simple as it is. It's simple in its delivery. It can be hard to understand sometimes. But all that you're asking of anyone who hears your gospel message is just to believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done. And that person will be saved. And Lord, we just thank you for that. Help us to continue to prepare on a daily basis how we can deliver that talk And be ready to deliver that talk when the Spirit says go.